Hello, this is Anthony Day, and welcome to another edition of the Sustainable Futures podcast. Last time, I was talking about Drax Power Station, about reducing carbon footprints, and about carbon capture and storage, and I mentioned in passing stranded assets. I'm going to talk about them in a minute. But let me tell you what I've been doing since uh, I last recorded an episode. I've done a Pecha Kutcher. Yes, a Pecha Kutcher. Do you know what that is? A Pecha Kutcher, it's a Japanese thing, is when you have 20 slides and you set them up so that they change every 20 seconds. So you have to do a presentation which takes in these 20 slides and you have to keep up and make sure that you don't overrun. Well, this was the first time I'd done it, but it seemed to go quite well because they all clapped at the end, although whether that was relief or because they really enjoyed it, I'm not sure. The whole thing took place at the Green BIM conference in Leeds. BIM, Building Information Management. My theme was Building Sustainable Futures or Sustainable Future Buildings. It was really encouraging to be with a group of professionals who really understand green issues, who are dedicated to building efficient and environmentally sustainable buildings, both in terms of construction and, of course, what is more, in terms of use. Anyway, stranded assets, what's all that about? Take an organisation with £100 billion in assets. Now suppose that there are compelling reasons why only 20% of those assets can ever be utilised. What are those assets truly worth? This is the basic question behind the Carbon Tracker Initiative's report called Unburnable Carbon. Despite the clamour from denialists, the lobbying from energy-intensive industries and outrage from politicians on a bandwagon, There is no government in the world without a policy on carbon reduction. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, recommends a 25 to 40% reduction by 2020 and 80 to 95% by 2050. Increasingly, this is backed by legislation. Looking at it from another angle, the Potsdam Institute calculates that between 2000 and 2050, we must limit total emissions to 886 gigatons of CO2 to avoid the 2 degrees centigrade rise which will trigger the floods, fire, famine and other catastrophes which will destroy civilization as we know it. Of those 886 gigatons of CO2, we have already emitted 321 in the first decade of the century. That means we have only 565 gigatons of CO2 for the years remaining until 2050. Or that we will breach the limit in about 2026 if we continue with business as usual. The analysis goes on to look at global fossil fuel reserves and assesses their CO2 potential at 2,795 gigatons of CO2, some five times the remaining carbon budget until 2050. 
Of this, they estimate that 745 gigatons of CO2 are held by the top-listed oil, gas and coal companies, and the rest unnationalised government assets. If only 20% of these reserves can be used to avoid breaching the 2 degrees centigrade limit, the private sector must be limited to 149 gigatons of CO2 for the next 40 years. So, if companies across the world are valuing assets of which only 20% can be used, can that valuation be justified? And if not, what are the consequences? Are we facing, as the authors of this report suggest, a carbon bubble every bit as toxic as the subprime bubble which devastated the financial landscape only a few short years ago? The report looks at the special situation of the London market. The value of investments in oil, gas and coal held in London is totally disproportionate to the size of the British economy. Only the Russian and US markets are larger. The carbon dioxide potential of the reserves listed in London account for 18.7% of the remaining global carbon budget. The authors make the point that two-thirds of the 4.1 trillion under management in London is represented by the pensions and life assurance policies of UK citizens. The dominant of the FTSE 100 by mining, oil and gas companies means these investments are open to commodity risk and now to carbon risk. These risks are almost totally dependent on operations far beyond UK borders. Arguably, a lack of effective regulation contributed to the 2008 financial crisis. Currently, there is no regulation of carbon risk. The author's recommendation is to strengthen regulation, abandon short-termism and take the long view. The accounting profession and auditors must look at whether assets can truly be exploited. IPO documentation, initial public offering, must take clear account of climate change issues. Banks must assess their exposure to unrealisable assets. Every effort must be made to manage all this without triggering another financial meltdown. The next step from all this, which the report does not address, is the consequence of not burning fossil fuels. Quite simply, it will be a reduction in energy supplies, affecting every industry and virtually every human activity. Unless, of course, everybody can burn lots of biomass like Drax and can do it in time. It's not just the asset values of mining and resource companies that will need to be cut if we can't keep up with the energy demand, but the values of many other industries as well. Many will claim that all this ignores te technological advances and government regulations, but time is very short, and the true effect of regulation is so far relatively tiny. Carbon capture and storage is still at least 10 years away, and new nuclear power stations take a similar time, even without the uncertainty of the Fukushima situation. Wind and solar are increasingly constrained by shortages of rare earth metals and cleaning up transport emissions will take decades. With business as usual taking us over the two degree threshold in only 16 years, we are coming very close to the wire. 12 years actually. Maybe we have identified a new class of toxic assets. Maybe this time someone will recognise the danger before it's too late. Now, the interesting thing about this article and the report that it refers to is that both of them were written 
in 2011, three years ago. And what's been done since? Well, it's food for thought. Sorry all these things are depressing. They're not all depressing. There is a lot of good news. And I'm sure my next episode will be cheerful, uplifting and motivating. And who can fail to be cheerful, uplifted and motivated? Because we're moving up towards Christmas. A few weeks to go yet. But the signs are there. Well, you can tell, can't you? It's got a lot colder. But soon we'll all be enjoying our Christmas celebrations. And before we do... There are at least two more episodes of the Sustainable Futures podcast. So there's something to look forward to. I'm Anthony Day. Thank you for listening. And if you want somebody to come to talk to your organisation about sustainable futures, about the sustainable future business case, about the green supply chain, or if you've got a school where the kids would like to learn why 7 billion people want everything they've got and what to do about it, well, give me a call. Or email me at mail at anthony-day.com Till the next time.